It's good to be with you today, and um, I wasn't here last Sunday, I was on a holiday, and I uh, spent a week in um, the Cathedral City of Durham, and while I was there, I spent a while just walking around the city, people watching, and I found myself on a bridge there that looked up to the castle and the cathedral and the river. And while I was sitting there, standing there, I began to think very deeply about the people that were passing me by. I began to feel quite a burden for them, and I wondered how many of them, if they died that day, would die in their sins, how many of them had heard the gospel, how many of them knew the Lord. And then I began to think about the city, I began to think about the nation, I began to think especially about Europe and the challenges and the problems that we face, spiritual problems at the root of everything, and how many people in Europe don't know the Lord, haven't a clue about God. And these things began to weigh heavily on me as I stood on that bridge. And I asked a question to the Lord, and I asked him, from where will the answer to all these problems come from? It was, an emotion, it was an emotional question. It was a question of the heart. It wasn't an intellectual question because I could theologically, I guess, have a crack at answering, well, Jesus is the answer to all the problems. It wasn't an intellectual question that I was asking the Lord. It was a practical question. From where will the answer to Europe's grave spiritual needs come from? And I felt a little down, a little despaired, a little heavy about it. And then I heard something, because on the uh, bridge there was a busker, and he just began to play a, a song by Bob Dylan, and it's called The Answer is Blowing in the Wind. It's a simple song. And as I heard the words of that song, The Answer is Blowing in the Wind, I felt God ministering to me, and uh, this is the title of my sermon today, so I thought... Dwayne kindly said he would sing that for us, just to give you a feel, perhaps, of what was going through my mind that will come out in my sermon after that. So let's welcome Dwayne. How many roads must a man walk down before you can call him a man? How many seas must a white dove sail before she sleeps in the sand And how many times must the cannonballs fly Before they're forever banned The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind How many years can a mountain exist before it's washed into the sea? And how many years can some people exist before they're allowed to be free? And how many times can a man turn his head? And pretend that he just doesn't see The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind 
the answer is blowing in the wind. Thank you, Dwayne. So when I heard that song, you could imagine how I felt because I'd just been asking from where will the answer come from? An emotional question, not an intellectual question. And I felt hope and I felt courage minister to me. And my mind went to the passage that we're going to go to together now. Uh, John chapter 3 and verse uh, 3 following. But as you're turning to that passage, I'm not the first person to uh, talk about Bob Dylan's song, Answer in the Wind, in a sermon. In fact, the Pope John Paul II, during the World Eucharistic Conference in Bologna at 1997, Bob Dylan sung this very song there. And uh, the Pope greeted him uh, with the reflection and said, you say that the answer is blowing in the wind, my friend. So it is. But it's not the wind that blows things away. It is the wind that is the breath and life of the Holy Spirit, the voice that calls and says, come. The Pope even answered a question that Dylan posed in this song. He said, you asked me, how many roads must a man walk down before he becomes a man? I answer you, one. There's only one road for man, and it's Christ who said, I am the life. And so when we come to this passage, I think you'll see the link between the song and the sermon. I'm going to read it to you right now. John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus is speaking to um, Nicodemus, the great teacher. And uh, he recognizes that Jesus has signs that show he comes from God. And in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. 
So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Well, in this passage, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus about how a person must be born a second time in order to enter the kingdom of God and begin to understand the kingdom of God's ways. And Nicodemus is only thinking on one plane of thought. He's only thinking on the natural plane of thought. Jesus says, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, whoa, whoa, I'm a grown man. How do I enter back into my mother's physical womb and be born again? And Jesus answers and, and basically says, look, it's not enough for you to be born of a woman. You need to be born of the spirit to enter into God's kingdom. And he says, unless one is born of water and the spirit. My understanding of this passage, to be born of water, simply means to be naturally born when the waters break. But you must also be born of the spirit. There is a natural birth, my friends. Every single one of us in this room today and watching has had one. But there is also, even more importantly, a spiritual birth that every one of us must ensure has taken place in our lives if we're to see and be in the kingdom of God and have our sins washed away. And so there is a flesh birth that brings forth flesh. But there is also a spiritual birth that brings forth spirit. According to the principles of the Bible in the creation order, like always births like. So you plant an apple, you plant an apple seed, you'll get an apple tree that will bring apple seeds that will give an apple. According to its kind is the, is the theory. And so also we find that things that are physical give birth to physical, but Jesus says there are spiritual births that bring forth spiritual people. And then he talks about what this Holy Spirit is like. Now, it's interesting because in the next verse where it speaks about the wind and it speaks about the Spirit, we have one Greek word that means three different English words here. The New Testament was written in Greek. So sometimes we go back to the original Greek to find out a little bit more about what it's really saying. In your Bibles, you'll find that it speaks about the wind blowing and people being born of the Spirit. But actually, the word wind and the word spirit are the same word in the Greek. It's pneuma, pneuma. And this Greek word pneuma can mean wind, it can mean spirit, and it can mean breath. So you can translate pneuma, wind, spirit, breath, depending on the context. In fact, our senior minister, Colin, uh, last Sunday evening spoke on being opening up, on opening up to the Holy Spirit, and this is one of the main points that he was making. Now, this word pneuma, that means wind, spirit, or breath, the, the main idea in this word is movement, a blowing force, a released power. So wind is not still air. Wind means air that is moving. There is a movement to pneuma, to wind. Also spirit. Spirit moves. Uh, the reason that my body is moving, that I'm animated, is because my spirit is inside me. If I should die and my spirit go to be with the Lord, this body would simply crumple to the floor inanimate because there's no spirit that is infusing, animating the body anymore if it's gone. And the same with breath. The idea about breath is 
movement of air caused by breath. So the key word here, and this is important for us today, the key word here is movement, a process of movement and force. And so when we come to this verse in Galatians, sorry, in John chapter 3, verse 8, where you read wind, you could translate it spirit or breath. Where you read spirit, you could also translate it wind or breath. And here we have a picture of how the Holy Spirit moves and how those that are born of the Holy Spirit moves. Listen, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. This is the nature of pneuma. This is the nature of wind. This is the nature of the Holy Spirit. How many of you felt or saw the effects of Storm Doris on Thursday morning, eh? I mean, you, you woke up and you could hear it rattling your windows. You, you could hear the rustling of the trees. You couldn't see the wind. It's invisible. But you could see and feel the effects of that wind, that Doris wind. Uh, you went out and suddenly you felt the wind. You could see the leaves being uh, uh, blown up. You could see the trees waving around. You could see on the news the great effects of this powerful wind when we saw trees falling over on roads and railways and everything like that. Well, this is a picture of how God's Holy Spirit works. He's like a wind. You can't see the Holy Spirit. He's invisible. But you can see his effects. Like the wind, the Holy Spirit blows wherever he wishes to do his work. You can't predict it. You can't uh, know where he's going to be next. But you can see the effects of a movement of the Holy Spirit, of the wind, just like the wind. You couldn't predict when you were outside, if you were outside on Thursday, where the wind was blowing. It seemed to be blowing all over the place. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is speaking about here. But also, not only does the Holy Spirit blow where he wills, but we find that those that are birthed by the Spirit, everybody that's born again, everybody that's born of the Spirit, can take on the characteristics and nature of the Holy Spirit that bore them. He blows where he wills, and those that follow him blow where he wills as well. What do we mean by this? Well, I think a, a great way of understanding this passage is to think of a sailboat and a sailboat and a sailboat out there on the sea and the wind is blowing. Now, a good sailor knows how to make use of the different directions that the wind may blow at any time and, and how to make adjustments when the wind changes its course. No one would simply get into a sailboat, point it in the direction that they wanted to go, set the sail in the direction they wanted it to go, set the rudder in the direction that they wanted it to go, and say, right, I'll just wait here until the wind takes me exactly on a linear course to where I want to go. What if the wind's blowing against you? What if the wind's blowing across you? 
You can't sail a boat like this. But one of the dangers in the Christian life is that we treat the Holy Spirit like that, unconsciously or consciously. We box in the Holy Spirit. We assume we know the Holy Spirit. After all, we in this church call ourselves Pentecostals. And we set our ways and our mindsets to what we think the Holy Spirit wants in our lives, how he'll move, when he'll move. We set ourselves, we set ourselves, and then we wonder why perhaps we're not making the headway in life and ministry uh, that we should be. It's because the Holy Spirit doesn't move according to your preset plan or your preset navigated path. No, what we need to realize is that the Holy Spirit blows when he wants, how he wants, as strongly as he wants, where he wants. And that the, the key is that in the sailing the boats of our lives, it's not about setting your rudder, setting your sail, and saying, this is the way we're going to go, but rather it's to be sensitive to which way the wind of the Holy Spirit is blowing right now in your life, in your ministry, in the church, and then to set your sail according to the direction, emphasis, and movement of the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest dangers is that we have a blinkered mindset, that we assume we know how the Holy Spirit is blowing or will blow, that we, we have already charted the course of our life and basically said to God, this is the way I'm going. I'm sure you agree with me. God put some wind in my sails. But that's not how we're to treat life. We know the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we know who he is, what he prizes by, what scripture teaches us about him. He will never go against the principles of scripture or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love. We have these understandings of the Holy Spirit by the word so that we can properly discern which way the wind is blowing. Because as I... Uh, was reminded on that bridge, and we were reminded in that song, the answer to the issues of human life are found in the blowing of the wind, the moving of the spirit. That's where the answers is found in daily life. Where is the wind blowing? In your circumstances, where is the power to overcome the things that are preventing God's kingdom to come in your life, your family, your workplace? Where is the power of God so that we can do the will of God? I mean, think about the day of Pentecost. That was a day of wind in Acts chapter 2, verse 2. It says, suddenly a sound like a mighty rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Suddenly, a sound like a mighty rushing wind came from heaven. The answer on the day of Pentecost was blowing in the wind. It was not a natural wind. It was a wind that came from heaven. And what did it do on the day of Pentecost? It filled the sails of the apostles and those who were in their upper room and gave them momentum, power, anointing to do the things that God called them to do. What happened when this wind came? Well, they were filled. 
It says that each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, God has created human beings to be spirit-filled. How many of you know that Adam and Eve, before they fell, were spirit-filled? God has created human beings to be spirit-filled beings. That's why it's so tragic that so many people are not born again. They don't even have the sails for God, in a sense, activated to fill. But on this day in Pentecost, when the wind blew, these born-again saints suddenly found a movement in their lives that caused them to go forward in the things of God. And if you know the story of the rest of that day, before they realized it, the wind had blown them out of the upper room into the marketplace, and they were praising God and speaking in new languages. They preached the gospel, and thousands of people were impacted by the wind that were in their sails and thousands of people became born again by the work of that wind, by the work of that spirit. We see a picture of the wind blowing through people in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. For no prophecy ever came by the will of any person, but being carried along by the Holy Spirit, people spoke from God. There's a picture. No prophecy ever came by the will of any person, but being carried along by the Holy Spirit, people spoke from God. I'm going to read what Dr. Michael Eaton, a good friend of KT, writes about this passage. He says, Scripture did not come because someone decided to write about some religious ideas. Rather, the scriptural writers experienced a special working of the Holy Spirit. There was a kind of gale blowing them along. The biblical writers were not simply led. Uh, Peter's word is stronger than the one in Romans 8.14. Rather, they were conscious of a heavenly wind blowing them along and giving them what to say. So this picture of the Holy Spirit as the wind, a driving force, a momentum, a movement of the Holy Spirit in his people to do the will of God is very strong here. Have you ever been in the doldrums? Do you even know what that word is? It's a, an English phrase. To be in the doldrums is to be in a place where you're feeling low, where you lack energy, where you are despondent and uh, inactive, stagnating. Sometimes people talk about uh, the winter doldrums. You just feel a lack of energy. We've got a definition of the doldrums coming up right now, just, just for those of you where English might be your second language. A spell of listlessness or despondency. And so to be in the doldrums, or he's in the doldrums, or she's in the doldrums, means that you're deflated, means that you're lacking energy, lacking, lacking momentum, lacking movement. But this word that speaks about an emotional state actually comes from a sailing term. And the sailing term uh, in oceanography, it says it's a part of the ocean near the equator, abounding in calms and light shifting winds. 
In other words, in the mid-19th century, the word once reserved for a feeling of despondency came to be applied to certain tropical regions of the ocean marked by the absence of strong winds. Sailing vessels reliant on wind propulsion struggled to make headway in these regions, leading to long, arduous journeys. They were in the area known as the doldrums. Well, I think this is an important lesson for us today. These sailing boats that could go all across the world with a great gust of wind could find themselves in an area in the tropics called the doldrums where there was no momentum, no movement, and the journey would be long, arduous, and difficult. I wonder if any of us are in spiritual doldrums today. We're finding the journey through life difficult, arduous, we're not making headway, we're not seeing fruit, we're not seeing results, and we're despondent, we're discouraged. But what the Bible is talking about is that there is a Holy Spirit momentum of being Spirit-filled, where we feel the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and beginning to give us energy to do what God has called us to do. There's a good illustration about this from the uh, famous Chinese missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. And in the uh, uh, 1800s, he, he was a great missionary. He traveled to China by sailboat. And this is the story. When Hudson Taylor went to China, he made the voyage on a sailing vessel. As it neared the channel between Southern Malay Peninsula and the island of Sumatra, the missionary heard an urgent knock on the stateroom door. He opened it, and there stood the captain of the ship. Mr. Taylor, he said, we have no wind. We're drifting towards an island where the people are heathen, and I fear they are cannibals. What can I do, said Taylor. I understand that you believe in God, and I want you to pray for wind. All right, captain, said Hudson. I will, but you must set the sail. Why, that's ridiculous, said the captain. There's not even the slightest breeze. Besides, the sailors will think I'm crazy. But finally, because of Taylor's insistence, he agreed. 45 minutes later, he returned and found the missionary still on his knees. You can stop praying now, said the captain. We've got more wind than we know what to do with. The ship's captain knew that Hudson Taylor had seen many miracles before as a result of his prayer. He knew praying to God worked. Now, this is a parable for us. You see, Hudson Taylor said, the first thing you need to do in preparation for the wind is to set your sails. You see, the wind can be blowing all it likes, but if you don't have your sails set then how are you going to feel its movement and how are you going to move along with it? Can I ask you a personal spiritual question today? Have you set your spiritual sails ready and in anticipation for a movement of the Holy Spirit in you and through you and intervening into your circumstances? What could these sails be in this analogy? Well, the sails are the sails of your faith. They're the sails of anticipation and expectation. 
that God will answer your prayers sooner or later, and that God will intervene, will come into your life and circumstances like a wind, like spirit, with movement, real movement. This anticipation, expectation, often vocalized in prayer, is the setting of the sails for the Holy Spirit to spirit-fill you. God is looking for spirit-filled Christians, and that simply means, in this analogy, those that have set their sail and are conscious to observe the effects of the Holy Spirit wherever they may blow. Remember, you can't see the Holy Spirit. He's invisible. But you can see his effects. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you may see his effects in someone's life, change in someone's life. And you say, wow, there's a work of God in that person's life. What are you seeing? You're seeing the effect of the moving wind of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. You might see it in a ministry. You might see it uh, in a nation. You might see uh, the effects of the Holy Spirit that is blowing. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you discern through the Word and the Spirit of discernment where the wind is blowing by the effects that you see. All of us who are born again have experienced this to a certain degree or other. Have you ever seen and said, that is the Holy Spirit at work? God did that. God has intervened. God has turned things around. God has given us grace to go through this time. You have seen an activity. You didn't see God himself. The Holy Spirit is invisible, but you saw his effects. Or you saw the Holy Spirit leading or moving in a direction. And uh, with wisdom, you set your seal to what you saw the Holy Spirit doing. And you set your sail, sorry, where the wind was blowing. And you found that there was energy. God only gives energy for things that he is doing. Now, this is the key. To have expectation, faith, and dependency on the Holy Spirit. That's what setting your sails. You see, Hudson Taylor knew that if he prayed for wind and the sails weren't set, it would be of no avail to that ship. That's why he told the captain, who had very little faith to begin with, set your sails. But there is no wind. I'm about to pray, and I expect and anticipate the wind to blow. Now, that anticipation, that expectation, is based on the fact that we do not predetermine what the Holy Spirit will do, or how the Holy Spirit will do it, or when the Holy Spirit will do it in whatever area we're inviting him to blow on. The wind blows where it wills, when it wills, how it wills. But it doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. We seek the wind to come. In the Acts of the Apostles, on the day of Pentecost, there was, there was only uh, 130 people with their sails set on planet Earth for when the wind blew. And they'd spent 50 days since Pentecost 
seeking God for the Holy Spirit to come. They have their sails prepared. And then on that given day, the Holy Spirit came in a way they never expected to do what they never expected. But although they never expected what the Holy Spirit did, they were expectant for him to come. Are you ready for the Holy Spirit to come afresh in your life? Don't box him in. Don't predetermine. Don't just wait on him. Believe in him. We get a picture of, of this because you see, you can have your sails of your expectation, your faith and your prayers high. You can be waiting, expecting, hoping. When is the Holy Spirit going to blow in this area? Everything set. And yet, still the Holy Spirit, it seems, has not come. But let me tell you something. If you've got your sails up, even if there seems to be no wind blowing, let me tell you something, that God is at work in those that believe uh, as much when he's blowing as, when he, as much as when he isn't blowing as when he is blowing. God is at work in those that believe as much as when he's not blowing as he is when he is blowing. Now, this is, amen. We see this in Luke 11. In Luke 11, it begins with the Lord's Prayer. And then after that, there's a whole section on waiting, believing, and expecting till God comes with his Holy Spirit. The Lord's Prayer. And then Jesus says, you know, have patience in prayer. Keep on waiting. And he speaks about the neighbor who knocks on the neighbor's door and says, I've got some guests. Can I have some food? And the neighbor says, we're all in bed. My children are asleep. But nevertheless, gives him the food. And then out of that, Jesus says, ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking keep asking not once not twice as long as it takes it's a waiting it's an anticipation it's a believing it's a trusting and let me tell you something God is at work in the waiting for wind as he is in the blowing of the wind if you're in faith and anticipation Because in the asking and the asking and the seeking and the seeking and the knocking and the knocking with the sails high in expectation, waiting for the wind to move, God is not dormant, but God is working on the very sails, on the very very boat of your life. He is fixing those sails. He is operating in your life so that the wind comes, your sail will be set strong, secure. Your sail is a renewed mind, a reformed mind in line with the word of God, an increasingly healed heart, an increasingly manifestation of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. God is at work when he's not blowing as as much as he is when he's blowing, if you believe. I tell you what, when the Holy Spirit blows and he's fixing on blowing, The question is, are the sails ready to take the kind of wind that God wants to blow in you and through you and into your circumstances? Are our sails strong enough? God is working in these days. Greater levels of maturity on the inside so that we can can harness 
by the word of God, the power of the wind that he wants, because God is an interventionist at heart. He sent his son to intervene in this world, and then his son went to heaven to send a wind from heaven to intervene in your life and situation. Seek and keep seeking. Ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. God is working in the seeking, the knocking, the asking. Because one day you're going to find. One day you're going to be answered. One day the door is going to be opened. I tell you what. God can answer. God can give. God can open whenever he wants, however he wants. It's easy for him to answer. The great work is while we're waiting for the answer. That's the great glorious work of the Holy Spirit. Then after that, while we're seeking and waiting with our sails high in different areas of our life, waiting, expectant, sensitive for the movement of the Holy Spirit, reliant, dependent, knowing that not the hand of man, but the hand of God is necessary in our lives and circumstances. Too much we've been paddling the boats of God, but God wants to give you a fresh wind and prepare you for that wind. And so after that section in Luke 11, it says, you think your God, you think your God is a father that when we're asking for a stone, Sorry, a bread, he's going to give you stone. Or an egg, he's going to give you a snake. Or bread, he's going to give you a scorpion. Scorpion, trust him. Believe him. Rely on him. And then he says this. You being evil will give things to your kids. How much more will your father that is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? The answer to all prayers that we pray, no matter whether it's the little things in life or the global events, the answer to every human being's prayer is the sending of the Holy Spirit. He's the first and he's the last. He's the power of our lives. He's the wind that comes. God is at work preparing us. William Booth said this, work as if everything depends on work and pray as if everything depends on prayer. God moves when he wants, how he wants, where he wants. But this doesn't mean that we take some sort of backseat uh, mentality. Oh, well, nothing can be done. We'll just sit and do nothing until God moves. Listen, we will be more active seeking the move of the Holy Spirit than we will when the Holy Spirit comes. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in increasing wind and power, we will find that double anointing that we've been hearing about from Dr. R.T. Kendall. He spoke about a double anointing. What's that? It's an enabling. It's a empowering. It's a movement of the Holy Spirit that causes the things and call of God in our lives to be done with great power, great strength, and great enablement. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, we might be in our boats paddling, believing, waiting for those sails high to catch the wind. But when the wind comes, you just begin to cut through that water. You know what I'm saying? You cut through that water. But when the Holy Spirit blows in power, it doesn't mean that your life is suddenly going to become a lot easier 
On the contrary, because the wind of the Spirit blows directly contrary to the wind of the world. He is traveling in the absolute opposite direction of the children of the world, of the works of the enemy, of this fallen, broken system. The Holy Spirit will drive you in the face of the enemy, push you against the great currents of sin in society together. But with the wind in your sails, you will cut a path of righteousness that will take you right through to where God wants you to be. God wants to cut a path of righteousness in your personal life. Nothing's too small for God's attention. Nothing's too great for God's attention. He is just looking for an expectant, reliant people. Do you speak to the Holy Spirit? Do you talk to him with the intimacy but awesome respect that he deserves? Do you block him in and Shut him in and think you know who he is. Let me tell you something. The moment you think you know the Holy Spirit, you've lost him. You've lost him. The moment you think you have decided how he works, when he works, and the requirements for him to work, you've lost him. But the moment you come to him with increasing abundance, increasing expectation, increasing reliance, knowing that in God's plan, you can't get through a day without his enablement. Some of us have been getting through days, weeks, months, and years without reliance on the wind of the Holy Spirit. But God is gracious. God is working in our lives today to prepare us for fresh experiences of being spirit-filled getting our winds of expectation faith. When you pray, don't just pray. Pray with expectation. That will draw the wind of the Spirit so that you pray in the Holy Spirit's wind, guiding you, causing the words to come out of your mouth, leading your prayers in directions that the Holy Spirit leads. Glory to God. What are the answers to the problems of this world? What are the answers to the problems that I was despondent about on that bridge in Britain and Europe. The greatest need of the world today is not found in politicians or economics. The greatest need in Britain and Europe today is more born again people. More more people of the wind. More people of the Spirit. And then, what is the greatest need in the church today? Spirit-filled people. Who, as the Holy Spirit moves, so the people that are Spirit-filled have set their sail, and they move with Him. To the left, to the right, forward, back. Where the Holy Ghost moves, nobody knows. But those that are born of the Spirit, Jesus says, are like the Spirit. And we begin to move in our family lives grounded on the word according to the spirit in our business lives decisions are made not by our intellect alone but we've called on the holy spirit for the spirit of wisdom we've asked him to breathe to blow in our careers in our education in our cell groups we have lifted our sails and if we don't feel the power right there we know that god is fixing the sail for the power so we keep on seeking asking believing and let that internal work go 
assured that our Father in heaven, sorry, spitting on you in the front row, you know it's a good sermon at KT when you get spat on the front row. You setting your sails. Let's, let's open our hearts to the Holy Spirit as we close. The answer for you, the answer for us, the answer for Britain, the answer for Europe is found not in the wind, but in the blowing, moving of the wind. God is asking you, set your sails today. Don't be despondent. Come out of the doldrums. Set your sail. And I promise you, God will send his Holy Spirit at the right time in the right way. Open your mind. Free your mind to the work of the Holy Spirit. He'll do it, but not by might, not by power, not in your way, and perhaps not in the ways of the past, but a new thing, a new way. Free your mind, your thinking, your expectation, and God will take you on a roller coaster ride through the valley of storms into the kingdom experience. Just respond right where you are. You just bring this into your daily life. Don't spend another day, another cell gathering, another prayer, another business meeting, another school class, not another day without sailing by the Spirit, calling on Him, waiting on Him, trusting Him. These are what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do in these great days of maturing, mobilizing, and multiplying so that when the wind comes, there'll be a people that can carry that wind as it was expected. Hallelujah.